The only thing I want for Christmas this year is to chill. <laughs> Hi everybody, welcome back to Ask Alicia, the weekly series where you ask me questions and I answer them. Maybe. Thanks very much as always for submitting your questions. Remember, you can submit your questions to me at englishclass101.com slash ask hyphen Alicia. First question, question comes from Carla. Hi Carla. Carla asks, how do native speakers use to have? I have seen, I've, I have got formal and informal. Sure, we use the verb to have for a lot of different meanings. There's a grammatical function for the verb have when we pair it with the past participle form of a verb, like I have plus past participle to make the present perfect tense, or I had plus past participle to make the past perfect tense. So there's that kind of grammatical function of the verb have. However, if you just want to use the verb have in everyday situations, like I have a phone, or I have a camera, or I don't have any money, for example, then to have in that case just means to own something or to hold something, to be keeping something. So please consider the sentence that you're looking at with the verb have in it. If it comes before a verb in the past participle, it's probably a past perfect or a present perfect expression. If you're seeing something after the verb have, like an object, in my examples, like a phone or a camera or money, then it's probably referring to owning something or keeping something. So those are probably two of the most common ways that you'll see the verb have and its variations in at least American English speech. Next question. The next person asked two questions. So the next two questions are from Essa Warsiadi. Warsiadi. I'm very sorry. Question one from Essa. Can you explain through, thorough, though, and thought? They sound similar. Yes, indeed, they do sound similar, and they even look similar in writing, for sure. However, these words have different meanings and different functions in speech and in writing. Let's look at through to begin with, though. Through means to pass uh, into something and to come out the other side of something. So for example, to go through a tunnel, or if you're looking at a document, for example, to go through a document means to read through, read all of the content of the document from beginning to end. So through something is to, to begin at something and pass through all of the content, to pass through everything and come, come out the other side or to complete something. So we also use the word through to mean finished in American English. Like, are you through with dinner? Or I'm through with my homework. So through, those are a couple of different ways we use the word through. The second word, thorough, thorough. So different from through. Thorough means um, comprehensive. Thorough means completely. Thorough means well done. It has typically a positive meaning. So for example, she was very thorough in her explanation of the word through, or she was very thorough in her explanation of the word thorough, sorry. She was very thorough in her presentation, meaning she gave a lot of information in her presentation. Thorough means well done, containing a lot of knowledge, a lot of information in something thorough. So please be thorough in completing your homework, or he wasn't very thorough in cleaning his room. So thorough means well done, completely done, finished. So considering everything, considering all points of something, even the small details is considered thorough. So we can use thorough for presentations, for activities that require small details, a thorough safety check, for example. So these are actions that are done completely, fully to the small details. So that's 
thorough. Next word here is though, though. Though, you can think of though in the same way you think of the word but. So it's used to contrast information. It's used to express a difference in something. So you could follow someone's opinion with an expression like though. So for example, I think summer is the best season though winter is pretty fun too. So you can think of though in the same way as you think of but. A, though, B. So you're presenting A and then a contrasting opinion B and you're connecting those two ideas with though in the same way you would but. So though, though, although is similar. We use although and though and but in similar ways. What's the difference? But is much more casual and but is used much more in casual conversation, in everyday conversation. If you're writing a document, a, a formal document, or if you're making a formal statement, you could use though in place of but. So though shows contrasting information. The last one on this list is thought, thought. Thought is the past tense of think when used as a verb. So I thought you were coming today, or I thought it was going to rain later, or I thought this was such a great afternoon. Thought is used as the past tense of think. We can also use thought to refer to an idea as a noun. So I had a thought, for example, or do you have any thoughts about this project? So we can use thought as a verb, past tense of think, or as a noun to refer to an idea. So again, that's through, thorough, though, and thought. Some of you might be wondering, how do I remember which is which when I'm reading or when I'm listening? You have to pay attention to the grammar of the sentence. They all have different grammatical functions. So you need to think about the grammar surrounding the word too. On to question two from Issa. What does love to hate mean and when can I use it? Love to hate means it's something that you really, really dislike but it's sort of enjoyable to dislike. So for example, this is an expression we can apply to reality TV. So many people think reality TV is not very good entertainment or it's not very high quality entertainment. However, it's really, really fun to watch. So maybe for example, you just hate a character on a reality TV show, but somehow you enjoy watching that TV show too. So something that you feel very strong dislike for and yet you really enjoy it at the same time. That's something you can love to hate. You love to hate that thing. Next question. Next question comes from Bowie Dente. Bowie, Bowie Dente. Very sorry. Bowie Dente asks, when can I use ever in a present perfect sentence? Like I have ever. Ever means at any time or at all times. You can use ever when you're asking a question like have you ever blah 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 have you ever been to France have you ever eaten ramen have you ever taken a trip to the mountains for example we can use ever when making questions that's one but because ever means at all time or at any times um, we may not use it to answer a question like that. Have you ever blah blah blah? We usually say yes or no in that in response to that. We can say I have never ever taken a trip to France or I have never ever forgotten my keys, for example. I have never ever blah blah blah. But in that case, it still means never. An expression like never ever just emphasizes the word never. So to use ever, we need to pair ever with a verb in a sentence. So we can't say I have ever, just I have plus a verb. We cannot say I have ever. That's incorrect. I have at some, at any time or at all times. It's, it's redundant. It's, it's not necessary. We can, however, use ever in a negative expression. Like I haven't ever 
been to France or she hasn't ever eaten cheese, for example. So we have to pair ever with a negative uh, to make a response. We use ever for present perfect tense questions and paired with a negative, have or has, to make a response, to make a negative response. So please keep those two in mind. Next question. Next question comes from Bahar. Hey Bahar, nice to see you again. Uh, Bahar's question is, what does dash mean and when can we use it? Okay, so the word dash as a verb means to run very quickly for a short period of time. So for example, I dashed to the station to catch my train or I dashed to the classroom. Um, for my test. He dashed off to the flower store to buy a bouquet for his mother, for example. So these are very, very short periods of time and very high speed. That's to dash. However, we can use dash as a noun um, in a way that does not refer to running. We can use it in writing as well. Sometimes we use the word dash to refer to these lines we see in writing. You might see uh, hyphens, n dashes, and m dashes. These all have different functions in writing. Um, hyphens may be used to connect words, um, n dashes can be used to show um, periods of time, and m dashes can kind of show um, extra information in a sentence. Um, so we call all of these dashes. This is kind of the category that we assign to each of these. So there's the verb to dash, and there's also dash as a noun, which means all of these sorts of things. So thanks for that question, Bahar. Next question. Next question comes from Ricardo Villarroel. Hey Ricardo, welcome back. Ricardo's question is, what's the difference between several, sundry, and various? Okay, I'm not quite sure how sundry fits in here. Several means a few of something. So think of several as higher than uh, a couple or a few, um, but it's not quite at many yet. So maybe as a good hint, the word several sounds a bit similar to seven. Um, maybe it doesn't necessarily mean exactly seven of something, but it's a bit higher than a few and it's not quite at the level of many or a lot of. Um, the next word you asked about, sundry. Sundry is something we use for household items, like everyday small household items. We usually use that in the plural form, like uh, shops which sell sundries. Um, so this is quite uh, different from the words several and various. Um, so sundry um, is usually used in the plural form and it refers to everyday items in your house. The last word you asked about, various. Uh, we use various to describe a miscellany of things. Uh, we use it before a noun, typically. Um, for example, various ideas, or various people, or various subjects, various topics. So various is used to describe many different types of something. Several refers to quantity. Various is just used to indicate that there are different types or different kinds of the noun that follows it. So as I said, various ideas, various flavors, various people meaning different types of ideas, different types of people, different types of flavors. So, um, several quantity, various types. Next question. Next question comes from Arnett Jake Nuguid. Nuguid, I'm very sorry. How do we use well before someone starts speaking and though after they speak? Well is kind of used as a soft way to begin speaking. Well, it kind of shows that you were listening to the other person. So it shows you listened to the other person and you are responding to them. Well, 
if that's the case, it kind of has that nuance. Well, it sort of shows you are listening and you are going to respond based on that information. Remember, though is used to show contrast. So if someone presents you with an idea or gives you an opinion and you want to show contrast to that formally, you can begin with though. So if, for example, you're in a formal situation, a business situation, for example, and someone says, I think we should continue with the idea we proposed last summer for this project, you might counter the opinion or you might oppose the opinion by beginning your statement with though. So you could say, though that's going to cost a lot of money to implement. So though shows contrast in a formal and polite way. Next question. Next question comes from Michael King. Hi, Michael. Michael asks, I want to study at home, self-study. What should I do? Ah, yeah, okay, I have self-studied and it can be tough to do, but you have the internet, congratulations. So what can you do? There are a lot of things. Number one, define your goal. What is it you hope to achieve? What are you looking to do through your studies? Don't just say, I want to learn English. That's not a very specific goal. Give yourself a specific goal to achieve. Like, I want to pass this level of a test, or I want to be able to do this thing in my life. I want to be able to give a business presentation in English. Number two, look for resources that are going to help you achieve that goal. If you need to work on your speaking, you need to find ways to practice your speaking. If you're looking for something to help you with your reading or your writing, for example, look for tools that do that. If you want to read, look for blogs, look for websites that have the content in your target language that you want to know more about. So start reading things and trying to pick up the vocabulary through studying those things in your target language. There are tons of resources out there, but you need to define your goal first and then start looking for the resources that match your goal. Three, maybe the most difficult one for a lot of us is to practice every day. Find some way to make language practice part of your everyday routine. In my case, for example, I found that it was really helpful for me to take 15 minutes in the morning and 15 minutes in the evening during my commute on the subway to study vocabulary and that helped me improve little by little day by day so it was a total of 30 minutes but it added up over time and through practicing every day you'll find that the resources you're using will become easier to understand number four where possible try to create an immersion environment if you're not in a situation where you're actually living in the country or you can go to the country where they speak the language you're studying try to create some kind of immersion environment for yourself where you can't escape into your native language just as much as possible try to create some sort of immersion environment so that you get used to hearing those sounds and kind of the natural responses that people have to those sounds too. Number five, I think one more really good tip for studying at home is asking questions. So there are other people who are learning your language and other people who are trying to study. We see it a lot on this channel too and you guys are fantastic about helping your fellow classmates. When you have a question and you can't find the answer for it, ask someone. Don't let yourself get stuck. Also, think about the resources you already have. If it's a question about vocabulary, you can check a dictionary. If you want to deepen your vocabulary, you can check a thesaurus. If you have a specific question about how an expression is used, try asking a native speaker, try posting on a message board, try posting in the comments, try posting on our website. 
So if you have a question, reach out and ask. Chances are, if you have the question, it's going to help somebody else to ask the question and get the answer. If you have a question, ask. Good luck with your self-study. Next question. Next question is from Harley Passos. Hey Harley, welcome back. What does uncountable mean? This refers to a group of nouns that we do not count with numbers alone. So for example, bread is uncountable. Instead, we use a counter word between the number and the uncountable noun. So in my bread example, we use one loaf of bread, one slice of bread. There are different words we use to count the individual pieces or the individual units of the uncountable noun. Uncountable nouns means nouns which we cannot count with just a simple number before the noun. We need to use an additional counter word. Next question. Next question comes from Taylor. Hi again, Taylor. What's the difference between look into my eyes and look me in the eye? I would say that we use a look into my eyes in more romantic situations. Or you might hear this in like movies. Maybe there's something magical that's happening and uh, I don't know, a witch is casting a spell and she says, look into my eyes. Look me in the eye is typically used in a more aggressive situation. It's used in an expression like, look me in the eye and say that. Look me in the eye tends to be a more aggressive statement. Look into my eyes sounds more romantic or mysterious. Next question from Yonhee, Yonhee, Yon I'm sorry. What's the difference between I like to take naps and I like to take a nap? or I like to go for walks and I like to go for a walk. So when you're speaking generally, especially in a sentence like I like to, you need to use the plural form of the noun. You can't use the singular form of the noun because you're talking generally about all cases of that noun or all cases of that action. You're talking about a regular activity you like to do, something you have done more than one time, something you are going to do uh, repeatedly, presumably, into the future. So you need to use the plural form. Next question. Next question is from Suha. How do we write a good paragraph? Ooh, number one, you need to think about the position of your paragraph in your overall document. Let's think about writing a document in terms of three parts, an introduction, a body, and a conclusion. In the introduction section, you need to introduce the key information your reader needs to know what they're going to read about later in your document. So if your paragraph is in the introduction, you need to think about how to introduce your information there. Second, the body section of your document should be where you include your evidence, your supporting materials, your opinions, um, any references that you have. So if your paragraph falls in the body of the document, you should have these themes in mind. If your paragraph is in the conclusion of your document, at the end, you should be concluding or finishing your ideas. It's typically a good idea to summarize the ideas you presented in the body and the introduction of your document in the concluding section. Two, use transitions. When you're writing, it's good to transition from one sentence to another and to use good transitions between paragraphs themselves. So some example transitions could be first, second, third, or next, then, Finally, after that, moreover, additionally, furthermore. So transitions help the reader connect the ideas that you're presenting in your writing. Three, avoid trying to include too much information in one sentence. 
Remember, you need to try to present your ideas as clearly and accurately as possible. So if you find you're just writing and writing and writing and the sentence is becoming extremely long, take a moment and look at the goal of the sentence. What are you actually trying to communicate? If you need to, break it into smaller sentences and connect them with transitions. Next question. Next question comes from Luan Garcia. Hi, Luan. Luan asks, I would like to know how to use down, up, off, in, on and out after a verb and why it's necessary. Oh dear, Juan, this is a very big question. Your question is about phrasal verbs. These are all called phrasal verbs, verb plus adverb or preposition. There are an enormous amount of phrasal verbs. I cannot possibly talk about all of them in one video. Phrasal verbs are necessary because they are part of speech. They are simply a type of verb. They are a type of expression. Uh, so you need to know them because they will help you to communicate effectively. Um, so if you want to know more about specific phrasal verbs, I would suggest checking a dictionary. Okay, thanks very much for submitting your questions again this week. Great questions as always. Thank you so much. You guys make me think really hard. Remember, if you'd like to submit a question, please send them to me at englishclass101.com slash ask Alicia. All right, so thanks very much for watching this episode of Ask Alicia, and I will see you again next time. Bye-bye! This is not a traditional Christmas outfit by any means. I kind of look like a cleric from the movie Equilibrium. Have you guys seen that movie with um, Christian Bale and Sean Bean? You know that movie where they like don't have any feelings and they fight? This video is over. Bye!